You join me on my perch at the far end of the bar. A good evening to you, and how are we today? Well, I'm, I think I'm all right. Hmm. think I'm all right. Have you done, like, a full system check? Do you know what? Some mornings I feel like I need to reboot even before I boot it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You get out of bed, and sometimes you feel full of the joys of spring. Yeah. And uh, it is officially spring now, isn't it? I can tell because it's absolutely lumping it down outside. <laughs> sometimes you feel like you're full of the joys of spring, and sometimes yeah. you feel like you have an anvil on a piece of string around your neck. I think the worst mornings are when you can find the control and the alt button, but not the delete. So <laughs> even if you wanted to do a reset, you can't find all the requisite buttons to do one. There so are some of those sort of things stuck in that mode of oh god. You know when when you have a problem on your computer or your laptop uh, and you look at you google it uh, and you look up uh, you know how to fix these things mm. and they say hold down these four keys. Mm. And you go okay uh, with with one hand I'll hold down oh there's three keys over there and one hang on a minute and then you can't reach all the keys to press them all at once. You need the dexterity of Andrew Preview. <laughs> Andrew, yeah, you do. Yes, and the, uh, the 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 finger width of um, uh, it'll come to me in a minute. <laughs> His name. He was a composer. He was Russian. Uh, it begins with R. Oh. Rachmaninoff. Thank you. See, I knew you'd be there. You know you're Russian composers, don't All you? All over them. I cannot believe that just happened. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, Rachmaninoff had enormous... Which is one of the reasons why piano players find it very difficult to play his piano concertos. Because he had an incredible spread from, from the tip of his uh, a thumb to the tip oh, of his pinky. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, enormous you, hands. Goalkeeper's oh, hands. Right. So the size of Pat Jennings. Hands. If Pat Jennings hadn't become such an amazingly successful goalkeeper, he could have been um, a Russian composer, specialising yes. in Rachmaninoff mm. uh, performances. I don't know. Did, are there any footballers who became musicians or vice versa? Well, there's musicians is stretching it. There's the infamous um, Hoddle and Waddle, Diamond Lights. Um, entry. Yes, and Kevin Keegan went into the recording studio yep. as well. Um, my one of my first seven-inch vinyls was the 1982 World Cup squad, uh, England World Cup squad, led by Ron Saunders. Um, right. uh, we are Ron's twenty-two. Hear the roar, and that was an awful song. Um, but God, I had I'd forgot I'd forgotten all about mm. Ron Saunders. He was at Arsenal, wasn't he? Uh, I not a big Ron Saunders expert. Um, I've got. To I be think honest. he was at Arsenal before. He was doing well at Arsenal before mm. taking over the inter. I'd forgotten about Ron Saunders. There you are, consigned to the dustbin yeah, of history. Right, it all happens. Well, in our minds, anyway. So Paul Gascoigne, um, mm. Fog on the Tyne. Oh God, with Lindisfarne. With Lindisfarne. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark Butcher, cricketer. But he's yeah. uh, he's quite an accomplished guitar player, and um, I haven't seen him live. But I hear he's uh, he and his band are good value when they play live. Um, but yeah, like any footballers who've gone on to become really successful musicians, can't think of no. Any. Uh, just going back to um, the England song, which became a thing, didn't it? Mm. After 
66 was Lonnie Donegan and World Cup Willie. World Cup Willie, yeah. That was the big song of 66. I think I think 1970 yeah. was Back Home. Back home, da 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 da, 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 da. with every ball we kick. Yeah. That's not the lyrics, but it should have been. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then it was every four years, yeah. there would be an England Internationals song sung by the England Internationals alongside some musicians. Well, not always. Sometimes they were just standing there on top of the pops in their blazers. Mm. Looking uncomfortable. Yes, that's how it should be done. I think this is the thing that I always found un, um, uncomfortable about that. If you're going to have a song, which like Three Lions, yeah, mm -hmm. which I think is a great yeah. song. It's a great song, let alone anything else. It's a great song. It doesn't. Im uh, there's a rap by John Barnes. Is that's there? World in Motion? Oh, yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, there is. Okay, um, but. Three Lions, you've got two comedians and a very good group. Mm. Um, with uh, with the, the the guys standing there in their blazers, you've just right. got footballers who may or may not be able to sing. Yeah. Lightning Seeds was the band, wasn't it? Yes, it was. You would not put musicians on the field to play in the World Cup. You wouldn't go, oh, I know. Let's put the lightning seeds out, get them and seven of their mates mm. and put them out as the England team. Yeah. So why would you get the England team? Do you see do you see where I'm going with this? Well, the England team to actually do a song. Yeah. But, you know, I mean they're not they're not comparable skills, are they? Being able to play football no, they're not. and being able to sing a song. Some people can naturally sing a song. And then and then they go and sing a song and it's a hit. That has happened. Some people can naturally play football, but even the most talented natural footballers of all time have still had to work their bobbins off to become successful footballers because of yes. the, the physical so demands of the job. So if the skills are not interchangeable, mm. why would you have the official song of the England... As they go off, off you go. Yeah. Well, why not? Go and bring back the World Cup for I us. Think you should, I think we should bring back the World Cup song. We don't do it anymore. It's boring. There's no embarrassed footballers standing around in a in a recording studio with the headphones on their head. Um, at jaunty Bobby angles. Robson didn't know the words. I'll tell you, he didn't. He, he didn't. stood there in the middle in his blazer and tie. He did not know the Sir words. Sir Bobby, to you, thank you. Sir um, Bobby, indeed. Wow, Sir Bobby. Uh, now. The um, aforementioned uh, Lightning Seeds, Three Lions, right? Yeah. Euro 96, Gaza's goal uh, against Scotland, 4-1 against Dentist Holland. Chair. What a tournament yeah. that was. Um, mm -hmm. The best thing about that song was that it kept the official um, England squad song off the top of the charts. So I didn't even know there was. Yeah, so Badil Skinner and the Lightning Seeds just got together and did this this song for for a laugh because it used to be yeah. you had the official song and then a load of unofficial songs right yeah um, fat fat les was one yeah was they a, did one a, one year yeah. yeah so yeah. but yeah. three lines a great song cracking chorus and a football terrace chant even to this day right 
the yeah. song that it kept off number one, even this is the most satisfying thing about the whole episode, was We're In This Together by Simply Red. <laughs> and I think I speak for the vast majority of England fans when I say, F*** them. <laughs> there is a hierarchy of snobbery about certain bands, aren't there? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people who would have exactly the same reaction to Coldplay. Yeah, sign me up. There you go. See? No, no. And that's a bit over the top. I'm, I don't mind a bit of Coldplay. I'm not a hater. I'm not a lover. You know, I, I so don't there's, mind there's them. no Simply Red track at all. When I was younger... That you would... Yeah, quite oh, okay. liked a bit of Simply Red, but, but now I've grown up. <laughs> My musical tastes have developed, and I understand it better is... what good music is. Yeah, well, obviously you've quoted Rachmaninoff already today. <laughs> yeah. I'm a man of deep culture these days. Uh, aren't you ever? I, I understand you ever? Mick Hucknall has developed a few cultures over the years as well, but that's another story. <laughs> this thing about transferable skills, though, or expecting... Um, uh, uh, somebody who is famous in one area mm. to be able to contribute to something in another area. Uh, and here I would cite comic relief and newsreaders. Oh, no, they, they do a great job, the newsreaders, every year. Oh, get they off. Did, this nah, year they did a fantastic little run of jokes. I'm not having that. that was great fun. Do you remember the year really? Jeremy Bowen um, did the dancing and stood up from the news desk and he had a lovely tutu on? That was no, great fun. I didn't yeah, see all power. I love it when the news readers I'm not, do that. I'm, see, I'm, I, I, I'm children in need, yeah. where the local television presenters suddenly become suddenly become all round entertainers. Yeah. Best bit of the evening. Nah, uh, every time. Nah, when Chris Basher, you, God bless him, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly become suddenly thinks he's Larry Grayson. What? Well, what more are. could you ask for? <laughs> It wouldn't happen the other way around, well, would it? No, because Larry, if someone said to Larry Grayson, could you come and read the Points West News for us? He'd say... Or could you report from Beirut? Yeah, it would be... Well, no, obviously not. It wouldn't happen, would no. it? And the, the reason is the same reason why the, the uh, local television presenters shouldn't try and do what Larry Grayson does. Because they can't do it. Correct. But therein lies the joy of them doing it. It's the best bit of children in need. When you're sat on the sofa, you've just made your donation, so you're feeling worthy, and then a local television news presenter appears on the screen doing something they really shouldn't have no business doing whatsoever, and the toes are curling from the viewer and around the region of the wherever that particular local um, television newsreader is, the whole viewership are going, why? What are they encouraging us to give money here, not like turn it off? <laughs> one of my favourite phrases uh, uttered by regional news presenters, who generally speaking, I, 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 I suspect they'll be very, very nice. Oh, lovely people, know, the ones I we know. We know some. Yeah. We know some. Um, but when it comes to wit and, you know, quick wittedness and a sense of mm. humour, you know, being being nice doesn't necessarily imbibe you with the instantaneous wit of Dario Brian, does it? Well, but this is the thing. Why would you need quick wit and dark sense of humour 
uh, or a dry sense of humor, or indeed any sense of humor. Any sense of humor. To be a regional newsreader. That's not you, what your you job is. You, no, you don't need to do that. But on Children in Need Night, <laughs> they think suddenly, they think suddenly, because instead of wearing a suit, they're now wearing a T-shirt, yeah. that they have become amusing. Now, one of the best, one of the best, and you listen out for this, where you've got two newsreaders together and uh, there's a conversation going on and one says something faint i was trying to f think of a, a a word less than faintly amusing mm. My, a, a, an amusing a, a micro yeah. amusement minutely amusing yes uh, and the other one then laughs like a drain and says i was going to say that <laughs> or Alternatively, I knew you were going to say that. Mm. So not only do they get on board with the humour, but they've also developed psychic powers. See, I'm, I just feel like we're kind of uh, edging into dangerous territory here as two people... Because? As two people who've presented hours and hours of local radio. On, on <laughs> <laughs> there is we are we are in no position to be judging whether no, or no. not. I know I'm not judging, I'm just pointing up <laughs> certain little points, shall we say. It's a, uh, it's a talking point. Let me give you another talking mm. point. Um I've I I am currently involved in a uh, writing project mm. which involves stuntmen. Okay. Okay. Uh, I won't go into it. No need to. Mm. However, um, for this project, I've done a vast amount of research, as you can well imagine, mm. about all manner of stuntmen, collected stories, um, delved into their history, gone all the way back to the very past. Okay, so it's about stuntmen. No, it's well, it, it, a stuntman is involved, oh. and there are stunts involved. Are they uh, okay. are they cunning stunts? Uh, funny enough, <laughs> some of them are. <laughs> uh, there's a there was a chap called Alvin Shipwreck Kelly. Great name, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. You, you're kind of expecting problems, aren't you, when you're introduced you to Albert Shipwreck Profe Kelly? <laughs> he was a professional stuntman. Um, he, he started off doing it in the early twenties, uh, and uh, it, so he was right from the silent era. And he started doing something in 1924 that caught on nationwide. Now, I mentioned the whole reason why I, I introduced this topic, because I'm involved in this project. But when you dive down into some of these stories, they're just fantastic. Mm. Alvin, in 1924, invented a spectator sport and eventually set a world record of 49 days pleasing a crowd of 20,000 people when he sat at the top of a flagpole. For, for, for how long? 49 days. He sat on the top of a flagpole. Flagpole sitting. How was he secured? Uh, oh, I he wasn't. There was no... There was no... He was... I don't know whether he, he stood for some of the time. But this was a flagpole of uh, flag flagpole length, height, uh, as you'd say. Uh, All you... the way to the top. Off he goes. And at the top of the flagpole, he sits. Are you able to reassure me and the listener at this point that there is no 
element of skewering involved in securing him to the top of the flagpole. <laughs> it wasn't nailed to it, no. I mean, I mean it, it, there wasn't a kind of, you know, it hadn't, like, a, there wasn't some sort of slottage. <laughs> slottage. That's my new favourite word. Um, no, I don't think there was. Right. I, I think there was no slottage involved. Okay. Um, but when I read this, I thought, well, uh, yes, you, and it, it apparently caught on and people were doing mm. this for a very I mean, short time. you would, wouldn't you? If you walked down the road, you saw someone sitting on a flagpole for days on end, your first thought would be, oh, I'd like to try that. I'd never go with that myself. <laughs> um, and rush around, either buy a flagpole mm. or um, go to the nearest flagpole and say, would you mind if I climbed up your enormous re- erection? Mm. And just squatted there. Reading this, I was reminded that the Indian fakirs yes. did something called pole squatting. I've heard of pole squatting now you mention it. Right. Well, this is basically the same as what Alvin reckons that he invented. But I suspect that the fakirs mm. were doing this long before... Alvin Shipwreck Kelly mm. scrambled up a flagpole. I imagine the conversation went something like this. Uh, Alvin was in the pub explaining how he'd invented the art of sitting on a flagpole and somebody said to him, now Alvin, the Indians invented that years ago. And Alvin said, oh, the fuck he is. <laughs> See? Yes, I'd forgotten about them. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for five years, it was a thing, and it only ended as a thing uh, with the advent of the Great Depression. And then everybody went, oh, for God's sake, really? I've got more important <laughs> things to worry about. You know? I would have thought that the Great Depression would, uh, would be a perfect time to provide some light entertainment. Well, uh, coming out, yes. Now, Hollywood did, uh, because coming out of the Great Depression, um, you you had all those wonderful, fantastic movies that uh, gave you glamour mm. and silly comedy. So Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were the sophisticated end of things. Mm. Uh, um, but, and you know, you just take you out of yourself. You, you know, you, you were... You were um, I was going to say death's door, but certainly, you know, you were very poor. No one had any money. You were standing in line for food. You, you had holes in your boots. You would want something, hmm. you know, for, for 20 cents. You could go to the to the movie theatre and see Fred and Ginger doing sophisticated comedy uh, while she danced backwards to all of his fantastic steps. Hmm. Would that, so, would that have been, was that the golden age then of Hollywood? Was that a bit later? Oh, possibly, yeah, possibly. possibly. They, they, I suppose that that era when talkies came in mm. um, heralded the golden age, didn't it? Mm. From kind of, uh, I suppose people would talk of the golden age of Hollywood being when the studios reigned supreme. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the actors and the people who worked in that studio system and what we know of it now wouldn't necessarily call it a golden period, but a lot of great stuff did come out of that. It's worth, worth just explaining that studio system, because I've, I've only read briefly about it, really, but it's, I mean, from what I understand, basically, that a star was contracted to a studio, and the studio decided which movies they would or wouldn't do. And if the star yeah, refused, you, you, that was the end of yeah. it, pretty much. Well, yeah, you could, you could say no. 
uh, and you could say no several times, but there would come a point where you'd say no too many times mm. and you would be out on your ear. Or you would be lent to another studio for other projects. Mm. Uh, you did have some say, or certainly some of the bigger stars had say in what they did. But the studio, in the, you know, the lower echelons, um, the studio uh, said exactly what your next project would be, whether you liked it or not. And, you know, eventually you could lump it if you didn't like it. Mm. Um, too many times, really. But uh, I mean, the the the, the writers, the, the writers, the producers, the directors. You know, it was a big factory thing, and because it worked like a factory, you know, it was a sausage machine, a factory, mm. however you'd like to call it, um, that churned out movies because people needed a new movie every week. Mm, but yeah, not necessarily the happiest. Um, industry to be involved in. There's some very good. There's some very good memoirs. I would point you towards uh, David Niven's wonderful uh, "Bring on the Empty Horses and the Moon Is a Balloon." Okay. Uh, two laugh out loud memoirs uh, talking about the Hollywood system uh, and some of the stars therein, and some of the things that went on as well. Mm. Uh, extraordinary times. Extraordinary times. I'm um, I'm currently reading uh, Alan Rickman's uh, diaries. Oh yes, yeah, they were serialized. Christmas is cancelled. Yeah, they were serialized, weren't they? Um, briefly in uh, one of the newspapers last year, I think. So family got it for Christmas for me. Um, yeah, really. I mean, he knew a lot of people. That man because he kind of did he. I've I've not read it yet. Well, he 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 had that big breakthrough when he was in Die Hard, kind of you know, and wasn't. The cliched overnight success, despite having <laughs> been an actor for twenty five years or something yeah, by then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from then he, he just you know there's there's name after name after name of uh, famous people. Well worth a read. I mean I'm only like about a quarter of the way through, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's also um, what's the word? Um, fairly indiscreet, I would say. Uh, oh really? Yeah. He names names. Yeah, names names, and uh, doesn't uh, doesn't isn't too worried. Or wasn't too worried about, uh, you know, saying what he thought. Um, obviously, these were private like a... diaries he was writing at the time, so he may not have ever thought they would be published. Oh, but, right, okay. Um... Well, uh, you see, I, I like something. Uh, Kenneth Williams' diaries mm. is the one. Mm. My God, um, there was a man with two faces: uh, the the public face and the private one. Mm. Uh, as soon as he got home, uh, didn't matter what had been happening that day, however much he'd been laughing that day, his true self or or a version of his true self. Yeah. Uh, picked up a pen, dipped it in vitriol, and started scribbling. Yes, it, he was kind of infamous for that, wasn't it? It's funny. He was. What do you think? Yeah. How... Uh, I I got a bit fed up with the, the reading the diaries after a while because it, you know, it, it, there was a lot of nastiness. Mm. Judy Garland is a good example of someone who went through that machine, right? And the, in yeah. the golden age, and you know, chewed up, spat out, and really yeah. didn't do her any favors at all. Come the end, did it? No, I mean. It's a story which has been told many times, the fact that, you know, they, they gave her pills to make her slim because she was slightly, um, if I use the word podgy, mm. it's not disrespectful. She was, you know, she, she did put on a little bit of weight. So they gave her um, slimming tablets, which we would call speed or amphetamines mm. now. Um, and uh, they gave her something to make her sleep and they gave her something to make her stay awake. Mm. And, you know, by the end of the thing, she was taking more pills than she in the end the poor love was like a sparrow i mean yeah. there was nothing to her at all 
which was a great shame because at her height, she was fantastic. Yeah. She had a tremendous voice. The talent was, you know, just she yeah. she she was a star in that she shone, didn't she? She yeah. was one of those rare people. But it's the it's it's the great tragic story of show mm. business, isn't it? And because, of course, she'd starred in A Star Is Born, um, the second version of that with James Mason. James Mason hey. and Judy Garland. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that, that made it even more poignant, mm. you know? Um, and But the good thing now is that, obviously, Hollywood, um, as an industry, uh, the movie-making business, has learned its lessons. Has cleaned up its act, and, and it's all wonderful. It's definitely... <laughs> It's definitely, I mean, for example, no one would ever accidentally get shot on a, on a film set these days, oh, would they? Oh, God. Wasn't like that, that terrible? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which brings us back to stuntmen, doesn't it? Does it does a bit, yeah. yes. Any any other great examples of fantastic stuntmen stories? Well, the greatest the of them all was Yakima Canut. Yakima Canut. Yakima Canut. What a great name. That's the best name yeah. of the whole podcast series ever. Yeah, Say it again absolutely. for me. He, Yakima Canut. Yakima Canut. Uh, if you look him up, he he was there the early uh, days of of Hollywood. He was the son of a rancher, um, and he he played um, he played cowboys. He played Indians. He, he, you know that um, stunt you see in uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, I think it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's on the front of where. Indy is on the front of a truck and he goes down and he crawls underneath the truck yeah. and he gets up, up the... Okay. Well, the first iteration of that was Yakima Canut doing it with a coach and horses. Wow. Where he started at the front and I think there were six horses and he went underneath. Underneath the horses? Came... Yep. Wow. Yep. Well, it must have been between the horses. Well, you can't yes, go underneath was... the hooves. No, he was between... Be... Yeah, well, he was virtually... Virtually... Uh, underneath the horses, wasn't he? But yes, in that in that whatever that bar is called that runs mm. down uh, between the horses, he climbed along that in real time in a John Ford film in real time, and then appeared uh, uh, at the back of the coach. Extraordinary man, yeah. extraordinary man. Uh, and and if and if you want another name, mm -hmm. Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton, he was stuntman. Just think about all the stunts he did. Every he did all stunt of them. himself. He did all of them. There was nobody else doing those stunts. Buster Keaton, and there's, there's a nice little uh, compilation, uh, which I think if you if you dial up Buster Keaton on YouTube, greatest stunts ever, something like that. Uh, there's a there's a little um, package of some of his greatest stunts. And you will, and if you don't realise, I mean, some people listening to this won't even know who Buster Keaton was. Comedian, star of silent pictures, bigger than Chaplin. Mm. For a while, bigger than Chaplin. Yeah. But his stunts were remarkable. Mm -hmm. All done by himself. I suppose the only guy who does it these days is Tom Cruise. Yeah, well, apparently he does all his own stunts, doesn't he? No, I or, think he does. Or I most think of them. Uh, I think he, yeah, um, he, 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 uh, he's got that sense of adventure, mm. that sense of doubt. However they insure him, I don't yeah, know. That's the thing that makes you think, mm, maybe he doesn't do all of the stunts. But. Well, I mean, there, there are things... The problem is that because we live in an age of CGI, mm. where you can make anything seem real, it's very hard to trust 
your eye when you see Tom Cruise hanging from an overhanging rock at the beginning of a Mission Impossible movie. Mm. You know, with no wires, nothing, just hanging by his fingertips. Yeah. And you think, mm-hmm. but he did it. You know, he did it. Yep. So now I have an update for you on what the bit of wood is called between horses. Oh, right. Okay. Um, in uh, It's rather disappointingly called uh, a sidebar. <laughs> oh, well, there, but you go. there you go. The, this is a lovely word that I've never heard before, and I shouldn't think many other people have either. When you have one horse pulling a cart, and it has the the contraption that goes around it, like the harness, the yoke, the yoke, yeah, yoke. that is known yeah. as a swingle tree. A swingle tree. Isn't that lovely. A swingle tree. My second favourite word of the week. <laughs> oh, surely yakamakanut is. In yeah, the top five, uh, at least. Yeah, but Yekamakanat has been with me for many a year. <laughs> well, well, just to, just to finish then, because I, I'm uh, nearly time for me to go and get the chips. Mm. Just to finish, two, just going back to the f- flagpole squatting, which we started with. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the fact that when Arvin Shipwreck Kelly had gone up the pole mm. and sat up there for 49 days... Crowd of twenty thousand people. Yeah, that kind of passed me by. Twenty thousand people gathered to watch him. This goes back to a conversation we've had before about would I go and watch uh, torture in medieval times? And my answer was, <laughs> well, there wasn't much else better to do. I imagine well, this applies here, right? In 1924, there couldn't have been a lot on the telly. <laughs> well, there no. wasn't any telly. That's why. <laughs> but. Um, the idea that you would stand there and watch anybody for an hour, for me, is too much. Watching yeah. somebody doing nothing, I, I don't have any inclination to gravitate to something like that, which is presumably, why... Presumably he was just sitting very still. Yes, he just squatted at the top of a flagpole. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there, haven't we, after our night out, but yeah. There, you, there used to be acts, uh, bicycle acts, in the days of special acts, especially in theatre bills, on variety bills. Um, trick cyclists, mm. okay? It would have these special bicycles. And um, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was somebody who held the world record for balancing on a bicycle without falling off mm. for hours and hours and hours. And the thing that always makes me um, wonder is why? <laughs> why would you? What on earth is entertaining about that? Well, I guess the answer is because someone paid him to. Yeah, but what? Why would you watch it? Well, again, when was this? <laughs> when, <laughs> I mean, this is but even allowing concept. when. <laughs> Even allowing when, I mean, you know, you cannot tell me that there weren't smart people in history, that people's boredom threshold, there was a boredom threshold. There was a, there was a point at which people went, no, no more of this sitting on the bicycle. Fall off the bloody thing. Have you seen or entertaining? some of the utter drivel that's on television these days? I mean, people Touch. will watch anything. It seems to Touch me. Touch the truck. <laughs> Do you remember that? Dale Winton, I think it was Channel 5. Yeah, oh, almost certainly. Dale Winton, Channel 5. Um, uh, a group of people standing around a truck, mm. bright and shiny, with one hand or part of their body on the truck, and the last person left touching the truck would win the truck. Mm. 
And um, this was a test of endurance. You win a truck. It was live. Live live streaming as no, well, no doubt. If it was nobody on the remembers. You could watch on the internet. <laughs> nobody, I think it was pre-internet. Um, nobody would want to watch that live night after night after night. Yeah, I bet they did. It's the modern day flagpole sitting, yeah. <laughs> or was anyway. This is 20 years ago now, more probably. Now, uh, we, before you go, uh, we're recording in the week that the great Paul O'Grady left us. So, uh, um, just wanted to, you know, this one's for this one's for Paul. I think it was uh, indeed. I only met sad. him once. Mm. Um, I was at uh, LWT for something, mm. uh, and I was waiting at the lift, and and he came in. Uh, in, in <laughs> the moment that he came through the revolving door, yeah, it was like an energy filled the place. Yeah, uh, he talked to everybody, and he had his dog in his arm. Uh, and he came over to the lift, stood beside me, didn't know me from Adam. Right. Started talking. We got in the lift together, didn't stop talking all the way up. Brilliant. Got out, and I didn't stop laughing yeah. all the way. I, I don't think I said a word. No. But it was just a joy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what was that? Two minutes of my life. Yeah. Oh, man, oh, man. Wonderful human being. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Let's raise one. Let's raise one to Paul. Indeed, and I will uh, buy a bag of chips in his honour. Good man. And I'll see you next time. Good Cheers. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. Find the fellas on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or send them an email. It's thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Most importantly, spread the word. Tell your friends and enemies, colleagues and family about this amazing podcast you've been listening to. We'll love you forever. Forever.